head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 300 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan. Joined today by the Jared Butler of Irish MMA Media, Graham McDonald, as we talk about a big week in the world of mixed martial arts. A really fun card last night, uh, a pretty fun card coming up next week as well, and some fight announcements and other things as well. Uh, this episode of the podcast is presented by Manscaped. Hey, fellas, we're in the thick of winter and storms are brewing. It looks like one to three inches of forecast uh, when you trim that hibernation bush taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialise in products uh, that make sure to keep you walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Uh, Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision tools for your family uh, jewels. It's like Graham going around the place, going around Dublin there, Graham, staying within your five kilometres, which are... Uh, <laughs> beautiful safely engineered family jewels but the lawnmower 3.0 is the one anyway but we both have and we both use uh, and it's absolutely fi- fantastic it's the best uh tool for the job it's because there's uh ceramic blade and the advanced skin safe technology uh which will reduce snags from your snowballs and the trimmer is also waterproof so you can use it in the the shower the bath or the jacuzzi if you have one of them if you're lucky enough uh manscaped uh, performance package is definitely the best buy of 2021 it comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0, the weed weed whacker nose, uh, hair and ear trimmer, which I believe Graham gave to someone as a, a birthday present recently. So fair pleasure, Graham. Uh, performance boxer briefs and a travel bag, uh, if we ever get to fucking use it. Uh, have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, seventy nine percent of people polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Uh, might as well use the best tools for the job. This bundle also comes with the crop preserver, ball deodorant, and crop reviver, which I know the lads over in the Patreon group absolutely fucking love um crop preservers anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel like your testes are wa- uh, walking in a winter wonderland crop res- uh, revivers uh, spray on toner for your balls uh, it's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extract witch hazel extract Jesus. that will make your balls uh, look up and say thanks uh, get cold feet this don't get cold feet even this winter uh, get 20 percent off and free shipping with the promo code severe mma uh, at manscaped.com s-e-v-e-r-e-m-m-a uh, they also have a ton of other amazing hygiene products on their website uh, from disposable mats for your pubes to foot deodorant uh, 20 so that's 20 percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com use the code severe mma code severe mma 20 percent off manscaped dot com and free shipping uh thanks to manscaped for our winter wieners looking so good right graham um 300 episodes of the podcast i suppose we better that's the first thing we better say i know it was only a couple of weeks ago that we had what the the fifth anniversary is the sixth anniversary i don't know we've too many anniversaries coming up at the moment anyway but a few people are asking us were we doing something different or anything for the 300 episode and i was like ah you know, <laughs> I'm too busy. I have too many other episodes. I think maybe if we just did the 300 episodes and I didn't have the Patreon and all like that. Uh, but there's so much kind of news and so many fights and stuff anyway that uh, maybe just a quick reflection at the start of it, I suppose. Like, I suppose when the Severe May podcast started, I know we maybe discussed this a couple of weeks ago, but I I was ex- like, I, what I wanted to do with the Severe May podcast was make something like I, I always love the co main event podcast, and I feel like. An Irish version of that was kind of what I wanted to start with myself and Andrew and obviously and myself and you carrying on a very, you know, it's it's basically the same sort of show uh, since you took over as well. Uh, yeah. And well, I think the, the first, mm-hmm. I think the first like three or four were actually 
John Balfe and, uh, and McGahan on just on Google Hangouts yeah. where we didn't really have a, a format. <laughs> yeah, but that, that <laughs> so was, it was just kind of like uh, that was different. It out more than anything. It was more. Yeah, yeah, that was that was Andrew did like he was doing a few. He did, you know, he did. I think Harry Williams was on with him and stuff. But that wasn't the Severe May podcast. That was like the Severe May Google Hangout or something like that. And yeah, it was Severe May Hangout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Andrew hadn't done one of them in a while. And then I kind of think you were encouraging him to do it. And I was like, one day I was like, fuck it, I want to do a podcast. I was like, Andrew, do you want to do it with me? And he was like, yeah, grand. <clears throat> I liked in the first. God, I actually went back there the other day and, and listened to some of the early ones, and bits of them anyway. And I, <laughs> this is how bad we were, right? So I, ha- I bought a microphone and I plugged it in. And I think for about 10 episodes... I thought I was talking into my microphone, but it was <laughs> the audio was actually going into my laptop. That's how fucking bad the audio was. Just talking into a microphone that was plugged in and not even fucking connected to my laptop properly or anything. So that's how, how awful it was. And obviously we learned as uh, as we went. And I think it's funny, you know, everyone now, all these radio stations and TV shows and stuff, trying to get their audio sorted from home and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I did that six years ago. <laughs> and Andrew and yourself as well. And... Uh, yeah, so we, we we managed to get it started anyway, so I was, but, like, I think the, you know, on, on the kind of the, the point about trying to make it, like, the, the come in, I think those lads do a very good job of kind of getting a different voice in the world of MMA, not just one where, uh, you know, there's people on and they're interviewing and they're trying to, you know, say nice things about them and they want to say, you know, the wrong thing in case someone doesn't do an interview with them or something. I wanted to avoid that, like, the plague, and we've never had anyone on here uh, on the podcast and interviewed him. I've done a few interviews, obviously, in person and over on the, the Patreon and stuff as well, but I think that's a very important thing to kind of separate um, from this podcast to make it a very independent voice because we see a lot, you know, recently of not, not just with fighters, but with, you know, whether it's television organizations and people doing podcasts and then working for TV organizations. I always wanted, you know, to avoid that and try to avoid a conflict as much as possible so you kind of can have a more independent voice and kind of say what you want. And I look, I get a lot of stick for that. I got a stick for it in the last week or two with the Frank Yeager stuff and things. And I'm, look, I'm happy enough to get stick, to be honest. If I wasn't getting stick, I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be doing it right. But um, that's where I kind of wanted to, to, to start it off. And I remember one thing I wanted to ask you, so we'll obviously get into the podcast and talk about the fights and stuff. So, but I was, I, I saw someone, I only think this morning, talking about like, uh, do you know what it was? It was a Denzel Washington uh, quote. And he was like, the media have a real responsibility to to tell the truth. What, what, what was his quote? It was like, um, if you don't read the paper, you're uninformed. If you read the paper, you're misinformed, which I thought was very, very good. You, from the start, starting the website and obviously going to the podcast as well, you've always been a one with a very strict adherence haven't you to like telling the truth not just being forced reporting things at the right way at the right time aren't you is that, how come that from the very start that you kind of knew that was the right way to go or you know, maybe it's not the right way to go because other people don't seem to have to go that way but we've always kind of stuck to that haven't we yeah well i think yeah i think it's it's you know it's harmful to you know clickbait to put stuff in articles that you don't know is true or you've just heard on twitter or you haven't confirmed or whatever and you know these some rumors that like you know on the inside you know aren't true get kind of accepted in as mma history as as fact you know what i mean uh because it's reported so many places and people don't take the care to actually bother to you know check things make sure they just want to be first or they just want to put out the the clickbait headline and uh, uh when we started so we actually started severe about 10 years ago i think now mm-hmm. so yeah i think so um back then there was basically you know no no uh, other websites kind of in ireland doing a similar thing so we were kind of like on, on our own and then as other ones came along you know you could see like all the clickbait coming in and you know maybe some writers have come along and want to write for severe and you know start writing things that actually maybe aren't true or unconfirmed or a bit clickbaity and you just have to say like you know this isn't this isn't kind of what we're going for here like we, we could have kind of you know in the boom period we could have written a million articles with, with conor mcgregor's dog or whatever you know what i mean we could have done that but uh, we're all you got even we saw other websites do literally do do that do that exact thing like mm-hmm. you know so you know some people are you know, trying to make money on the website, make as many clicks or get as many visitors or whatever, clickbait the shit out of everybody. And, 
and that, that that they can do what they want. That's not what not, not what we want to do. And uh, you, I kind of thought like, oh, people will kind of get sick of this and not trust these websites, but people don't. People just keep going back. They keep clicking the clickbait, and I can see why. Like loads of different websites have kind of gone into that just to kind of keep up or just to to make more money or just easy easy clicks. But yeah, we were never about that. Like and like you know, you're the same. Like if 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 you're like uh, so better than somebody else's article, you'll you'll make sure everything's everything's all correct i think that's like as you as uh as time kind of or as you know people kind of get away from caring about facts and want more just entertainment they don't really care about the real story they just want the entertaining story i think it is important to you know uh, keep the reputation so people know if, if they see something on severe if they see a fight announcement on severe or somebody signing for something or some kind of news on severe MMA, they know it's true they know that's the plan like there's there's no there's no bullshit there, and I think I think that's why we have a like a hardcore fan base that support us on like Patreon or mm-hmm. all the, all that stuff. Like, uh, I think that's the reason. Like, you know, all these other websites, like I can name them, like Pundit Arena, Joe, all these. Like, they uh, they probably don't have like a hardcore fan base. They probably just get all their clicks off like social media and clickbait and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. that's fair enough. They can do what they want to do, but yeah, we we've never wanted to do that. And I think we've been very good about uh, sticking to it. I don't think you could find any examples of uh, yeah. us reporting something that that wasn't true. Yeah, I remember someone actually said at one time, like call us out, calling severe MMA clickbait, and I was like, give me one example, <laughs> and then couldn't find one. I was like, I'm look, I'm sure there's there's something from a while back that we thought was news, and I look, everything slips by someone. But yeah, I think we've had. Uh, a strict adherence enough to it anyway and like that's as you mentioned there like the patreon and not to, to sell the patreon or anything but like without that it'd be very hard to keep going we appreciate everyone who has like signed up to it but like going the way we have tried to go is is a hard road because you're not earning money with it and until we started the patreon i think it's coming up on on is it three years or two years like it was very very hard unless there was you know a mcgregor interview or a chael sonnen interview or something like that that went big it was very hard to get any money so we were doing it you know a lot of people you know give out about the media and say oh you should have three fights and stuff no one no one wants to do it anyway like a lot of people i see a lot of people recently even and it's down through the years they do it for six months and then they realize oh shit i'm not gonna earn any money out of this it's nothing but hassle and they stop whereas we've kind of you know you said you've been doing it for a decade i've been doing it a little bit less obviously in other places than camp to severe uh, uh, as well and it's like it's a tough road to, to hoe and uh, we appreciate everyone who's kind of helped us over the last while because it also I've spoke about it a few times on Patreon as well. But I think the fact that we kind of have the support of people who want us to do it the way we want to do it encourages us, I think, more to do it the way that we want to do it. Like it would be, it would be easier to pivot and do it a different way and try to, you know, do it less bullshitty. And so I was even talking to to Philip O'Connor last night, and I was like. I only really want to get on guests now who I really want to talk to or whose people suggest, like Farah Hanoon, I had her on, um, on Patreon during the week. A few people suggested it, and so I got her on. And she, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I thought she was very good, one of, one of the new kind of up-and-comers to, um, covering the sport. And like us, you know, it blew up here in Ireland, and for her it blew up uh, over in over in the Middle East, and she was there to cover. So I, I enjoy people, uh, you know, talking to people like that or up-and-coming fighters like Ian Gary or whoever it might be. You know, so, um, you know, I appreciate appreciate everyone sticking by us and we've a great listenership and everything obviously with you know the the, the lockdowns and with the lack of uh, commuting and stuff it's it's tough to listen but uh we appreciate everyone listening and chiming in every week and christopher graham and dara and yeah no, we, and we, all we, sending in questions every week so fair play to them go on what were you gonna say yeah no it really is great all the people that support us on patreon and all the people that kind of support our sponsors like manscaped and you know uh keep us going you know uh, people kind of Taught in the boom period of Irish MMA that like oh everybody's making all this money and all but yeah. like in the 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 reality of it is you're if you're flying over to a fight in in America that's more money than you're than you're make for 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 a fight week that's more money than you're making all year so nearly every year so it's uh you have to be passionate about it and these as you said some people come in and we we get emails all the time um over the years people wanting to say they want to cover MMA they want they want to do all the stuff and they might write 
one article where you have to like hold their hand the whole way, organize everything, sub edit all that, and then they they're like, oh, this UFC is coming up. Can I get credentialed? It's just yeah. like, mm, no, yeah, like, <laughs> or I want to do an opinion piece about something. Uh, it's like, well, your opinion is, you know, you haven't built a reputation. You haven't your opinion doesn't matter to anybody. Like, and nobody cares. Yeah, I, you know I, what I mean, think, yeah, it, it I, takes a long time to build up. Like, for, yeah. when you first started writing articles, like nobody cared. Like nobody mm-hmm. cared, but now you've kind of established yourself. You write articles, people respect your opinion. Yeah, but you have to earn that respect. It's not just, mm-hmm. um, you, you respect my opinion and, and you know, people are going to, you know, people are just going to ignore you because who are you? You're nobody. Yeah. And that happens a lot. People don't want to put the, the hard work in, the, the years in, the 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 research in, the get, make the connections, all that stuff. It, it does take time. And it, as you said, like, there's definitely some good people in the MMA media, but there is a lot of people who just drop in and out and just kind of like the idea of it. But then when it comes to it, they realize, you know, you're not getting paid at all. And if you are getting paid, it's it's not very much, uh, especially at the start. So, yeah, anybody, anybody who thinks it's like an easy ride, like you're going to start, you know, a career out of this, you really, you really have to put in the work. And I think... Even if you do, it's it's very difficult sometimes because, as we said, the the clickbait and all that stuff is is what makes the money. Yeah, hundred percent. I think like as well, you know, even if you look at Sarah Page, and we'll get onto the fights now in a second, but like you put in a decade of it, I've probably put in what I don't know, six, eight, seven, eight years. I'm not sure around that. This podcast is six years old anyway, so a little bit more than that. And like if you look at, I, was, I remember I was talking to Ian O'Neill the other day, who's done an absolutely fantastic job, but like. I remember at the start, maybe for three to four years, I did a preview for every UFC card and a review after it on the Sunday. That is a lot of work and a lot of, you know, why, why do people care about your opinion? Why do people listen to the podcast? Because you put in the work like that. And I think Ian is doing a great job of doing that too. He's doing an article for every UFC and after it, or during it, even doing the results as well and putting up the videos. Very, very good. Like, that's the sort of thing you want. Like, people want to see those videos. They want to see those knockouts. They, they want to get yeah. the results. And, and doing doing uh, that, them. Um doing those kind of previews and reviews you're kind of you're forced to pick up a good knowledge of, yeah. of what's going on like you know what i mean it, it's a really good foundation for like you know forming like knowledgeable opinions and was you know it takes a while when you first not that these guys start, first started watching recently but when you first start watching it, it is kind of hard to know what's going on mm-hmm. um in a lot of in a lot of mma like uh what's what's real and what's not who who you can believe and who you can't believe and all that stuff mm-hmm. so um yeah, it just it just it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of a lot of um, effort and it takes a lot of uh, a lot of passion. I think if you're not passionate about the sport, like especially when you're in the Ireland and all that, and you're up at five in the morning every weekend, it like you know once or twice a year, maybe Americans might have one of these cards that's kind of in the middle of middle of the night or whatever. But it's it's pretty much every week for for people like us uh, and yeah. people in the UK and Europe and stuff. So it definitely takes a massive passion. And if, if you're not massively passionate about MMA, then it's definitely not the yeah. <laughs> uh, MMA media. is definitely not the career for you. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I won't lie. I've kind of come in and out of it a bit over the last few years. But I think, I don't know, after Christmas uh, and after the, getting their own and stuff, for the last few weeks, I've really enjoyed it a lot more. And there was a little bit of a break from the fights and stuff as well. And I don't know, I kind of have the joy for it back. So I'm kind of glad I'm, I'm going to ride this out for another bit now. But I think yeah. that, that last... There is some lulls and plateaus yeah. where you're just like, fucking hell. Yeah. But then like, the... something kind of catches you. When the, U- when the UFC had like those 26 events in a row <laughs> that was like that really did me and i was like oh, i can't do anymore <laughs> this, this is just the end of it but uh however uh i suppose we better get on to the fights I, I was expecting to do like two minutes talking about the 300 episode but we need a good 18 and <laughs> so that's not the bad. isn't it isn't it just before we just before we finish yeah just thinking about it now like 10 years is severe coming up uh, i think it's like october or something yeah. but um it's like nine years since we filmed and released uh 10 hours with roddy and and Paddy, that's fucking mental. It doesn't seem like that at all. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It, it, like, it, it does seem like a good few years ago, but nine years ago, just, it's strange. Like, you know, I was yeah. like 20, what, 24 at the time or whatever. It's strange. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes me feel old. Remember Andrew McGahan when he started doing another little boy, like 19 years old, and now he's a fully grown fucking jujitsu brown belt or whatever he is. God almighty. Springing up out of nowhere, Graham. Sure, sure the first interviews. 
the first interviews he did on camera, I tricked him into being on camera. I told him I was just going to film uh, Norman's face and Gunnar's face or John's face or whatever, and I just filmed him there with his with his radio <laughs> mic gear on and all. You know. fucking... Just because he was too nervous. And then after that, he was he was, he was okay. Uh, I think the first interview I ever did on camera was a similar thing. I was it was uh, I think it was George Courtney, and I never wanted to do on camera interviews or anything. But uh, I, it was the first fight at night and uh, at a Bellator, and no one had turned up. Or no one was like had their stuff ready and all, and I was the only one there. And I was there was one other person there as well, or two other people maybe. And I was like, "Are you ready?" And they just stood there and didn't record anything and didn't hold up their mics, so it was just me. So I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> so I just stood in and kind of interviewed him by myself. Anyway, so I was it's a bit weird. I think everyone who everyone in covered MMA, I think, or lots of people kind of fall into covering MMA, and it's nearly are <laughs> into doing certain things in MMA, and it's nearly the best way to do it because it's very kind of. Uh, I don't know, it's oblique that right word seems not, but it's like a very obvious when people are trying and trying to push the way they're trying to do things, but however, anyway, right, uh, thanks anyway to everyone, 300 episodes, the the listenership has been huge, we're coming up on a, f- a million downloads I think pretty soon, so that's absolutely fucking unbelievable, uh, so we appreciate each and every one of you, Fair Play and obviously a lot more listens and sh- Spotify subscribe over there and everywhere, so let's get into the fights, right? <laughs> This, this podcast is going all over the place. It could, be, could go anywhere. Um, Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades. Sometimes, right, You, I watch fights a lot. And, you know, okay, this is another thing here about telling the truth and all this. And uh, I was... Uh, most of the time when we watch the UFC, right, you see, and especially in main events, you see two even enough sort of uh, competitors against each other. Everyone's sort of well-rounded these days. Little mistakes change, you know, or little, you know, adjustments that someone doesn't make or someone does make either loses them the fight or wins them the fight. Last night, I think this was Curtis Blades being way too cocky against someone like Derek Lewis, and it showed him up. Like, you, if you look at, say, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not used to giving Daniel Cormier a prize, but if you look at Daniel Cormier, right, he went in and he fought Derek Lewis, and what did he do? And he went in and he fought Anthony Johnson, what did he do? He made it easy on himself. You know, he pushes him against the cage, maybe he takes him down, takes him down in the middle of the cage, refuses to strike with him until... Uh, he gets you know the takedown or only until he gets the takedown just make you know make the fight easy on yourself when you're fighting someone like Derek Lewis we know what Derek Lewis is he's a limited dangerous guy that 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 would that should be on Derek Lewis's headstone limited but dangerous and Curtis Blades he went for one takedown after what 25 or 30 seconds of the fight and he didn't go for another one until the second round. I was like, why? why? And okay, he was doing well in the striking. But it's a little bit like we were talking about the Kafki Selassie and McGregor as well and stuff. And it's like, you're winning the fight, but you're winning the fight in a very dangerous way. And you're only winning it until you're losing it. And I even spoke about on the rewatch I did last day over on Patreon. That's like, this is the way Derek Lewis is going to do it. He's going to be patient. He's going to wait for your takedowns to come. And... You, if you try to force those takedowns by just blind takedowns or little things and let Derek Lewis land that big uppercut, you're going to get knocked out. In the first round, Blades did exactly what you need to do to take Derek Lewis down. He got him on the back foot, pushed him against the cage, and that's exactly where you take Derek Lewis down. You crouch him. Don't don't even get in on a double leg straight away. You push him against the cage. You use your strength and get him down. Like How many times has Derek Lewis been taken down with body locks or just kind of fell down against the cage? Loads of times. And even if you get there and you can get down and get that double leg against the cage or a single leg... Curtis Blades is taking Derek Lewis down every day, every day of the week. Derek Lewis did a great job a couple of times, okay, stopping the takedowns, but you do it again and again and again. That's another problem we've spoken about in this podcast before, and it's a reoccurring team. People whose uh, first um, option should be wrestling, giving up on it when they can't get the takedown. Like, if Conor McGregor can't put you in the head with his left hand the first time, he's not going to give up on it, is he? If Wonderboy can't kick you in the head the first time, he's not going to give up on it. And why should you give up at the wrestling? Look at Habib, it's what made him great. He'll never give up on the wrestling. And I just feel like Curtis Blades... And it was like it was a perfect game plan from Derek Lewis. Absolutely perfect, beautiful game plan from Derek Lewis. But Curtis Blades was so... Just terrible, I thought in this fight. Like, what, what did you think, Graham? By being too harsh on him, or did, did you like? Do you think he just kind of got too cocky and thought he was winning the the uh, the striking and he could just strike away with with uh, Derek Lewis? And I know he got knocked out, gone for the takedown, but still, it was common. Like when you do things yeah. like that. 
Well, I think even in one of the first exchanges in the first round, he kind of showed that he didn't really have enough respect for <laughs> Lewis's power. Like, you know, we we talked about Lewis for years. Uh, he's basically this really limited fighter with extreme power. Uh, like, he he's knocked guys out like fucking. He's losing the fight, and he just gets one ground and pound shot in, and that's enough. Like, that's that's what he's done for years. And you need to be extremely wary, like you know, as you said, like there's a there's a blue there's a blueprint there. There's a route to victory of you know taking him down, and and once he can't, like maybe he'll stand up or try to stand up or explode out of out of bottom position once or twice, but he'll run out of energy and be a kind of you know a much less dangerous fighter then after that. And yeah, I think I think the game plan was wrong from Curtis Blade. Like maybe the game plan was was well, he went for a takedown in the first thirty seconds, so maybe the game plan was to take people down. Maybe he just veered away from the game plan but whatever happened anyway uh you know it was a beautiful beautiful shot from from lewis but uh, you're kind of just reaching in for a takedown like that you know you're asking for trouble maybe you're not asking to get knocked the fuck out like that mm-hmm. but you know when it's when Derek lewis is is the the guy hitting you with that insane power and like he seems to have you know obviously when he was a bit heavier he seemed to have more, more power but i, I would have thought anyway but he seems to have kept kept that pair anyway and we've seen we've seen Derek, Derek Lewis do this in the past so it's it's no big surprise it's not as if he just like you know he just landed one big lucky punch or anything we, we've seen him do this many times Curtis Blades need, needed to be aware of that and I'm sure he was his coaches made him aware of that but uh, yeah I think he just got carried away he just thought oh, I'm winning the strike in here I can take him down whenever I need to and just kind of took the fight for granted and, and if you do that against a big heavy hitter like Derek Lewis you, you get sparked and coffin nailed and that's what happened yeah and i think like we have before have criticized Derek lewis's improvements a little bit which may seem odd but if you've listened to the podcast you before you probably understand why we say that but i thought last night really showed that those improvements can be put to good use because he was smart you know he stopped that takedown every time uh he went for it he was looking for the shot and uh, you know, you said there, I thought, I thought you said it perfectly. It wasn't lucky punch. It absolutely wasn't. Because Blades, he came in and he was like, he, he came in with like dip down the head, change levels a little bit to kind of fake it. And then immediately came again the second time. And Lewis knew that was coming. You know, he could see the set, the fake and the second shot coming. And he timed it absolutely perfectly uh, and caught him. So like, it was, the, the, but the problem is like, it, it no matter how good Lewis's game plan was, I think Blades could have worked around it if his game plan was a little bit better, or if he had just, like, as you said there, maybe his game plan was to go in and take him down, but he tried it once, and then he stopped until the second round, and he tried it again, and he didn't get it, and then the third one, he got knocked out by it, and I think the third one was just so sloppy, and, you know, you can't do that against Derek Lewis. Watch the Shamil Abdurahimov fight, uh, which I didn't rewatch this week, and I ex- if you go back and listen to that, anyone on Patreon, I talk about the uppercut at the end of it. I talk about the uppercut in it. He's very sloppy when he comes in and shoots from across the cage. He is way better off when he closes the distance quickly, but at the right time. And if someone is against the cage and he can push him up against it, or is is you know they they have less of an ability to uh, spring off, especially at heavyweight. And I know Derek Lewis is very good at it, but have less of an ability to spring off and hit with a big shot when you have just pushed him back against that cage, uh, you know, and you time it correctly. So, a very, very, very poor outing, I think, from from Curtis Blades. And even I, I went back and I watched a bit of the the la the uh, Inganu fights, and one of them was obviously cut, stopped with a um, not a cut, but his eye closed up, and the other one then obviously he landed punches on him, and it's not. It's funny because. I think of Blades, and I think of people catching him with uppercuts coming in, and Lewis, but he hasn't, it's, he's never been knocked out like this before, I know Francis Conham coming in, right, but like, not not in this sort of way, so, it was, it was great from Derek Lewis, and I think, what the the thing about Lewis is, it's funny, it was a terrible matchup for Lewis in one way, but then a good matchup for him in the other way, because he knew what was coming, and what Derek Lewis is great at, is seeing people coming, and then just having the ability to throw. I, I was thinking about it last night. He's a bit like Yoel Romero, you know, in that he'll wait and wait and wait and wait and then strike. And he's almost better at it than Yoel Romero, oddly, even though he's not as good a technical wrestler or striker or probably jiu-jitsu either. 
but he and maybe because it's at heavyweight, obviously it's a little bit easier to do it as well. But he is so good at it. And we look, we've talked about Derek Lewis down through the years, and we know that he's always in fights. But I think, like, maybe we were being a bit too snobbish about Derek Lewis sometimes because, like, this is a way to win fights. There's nothing wrong with this, you know. If if you're, uh, you know, if your game plan is to wait and wait and wait, and you can survive. And you can land that one knockout blow. What is wrong with that? I like. I don't see anything wrong with that. And I, I, maybe we haven't respected Derek Lewis enough, but his ability—he's beaten too many good guys now to make it. Uh, to make it, uh, you know, uh, lucky. He's beaten Curtis Blades. Look, look at his record last few: Alenik, Latifi, Ivanov, uh, Volkov, Francis Ngannou. Okay, that was a weird fight, but you know what I mean. Uh, he's beaten Abdurrahimov. He's beaten Reynolds and beaten Travis Brown. Gabriel Gonzaga, Ruan Potts down through the years, he's beaten some very, very good guys there, and, you know, okay, he's, the only guys he's lost in the last few years are uh, Junior Santos, Daniel Cormier, and Mark Hunt, and that's gone back to 2015, so that's, I think we need to put an extra bit of respect on Derek Lewis's name, I know I've criticised Blades a lot here, but, well, Derek, what do you think, Graham, I know we, you know, we talked about him before, but these improvements seem to be, like, working in a, in a good way for him now, in terms of, like, he can be more patient, he can stop a takedown, he can avoid the shots a little bit better, and he doesn't need to, you know, just stand up because he's so strong. He doesn't need to just kind of power out of positions or, or throw, maybe just go mad in the last 10 seconds and try to win the fight after getting destroyed for the whole fight. He can actually be in there and be patient, be defensive, and then strike and, and land a big shot. Smart, isn't it, really, from Derek? Yeah, well, like, we kind of, I think we jumped a gun a bit on the, you know, the losing weight maybe not being being too yeah. good for him because you know, maybe it take, took him a little bit of time to adjust. But we, in, in, in the last few fights, we haven't seen him with his, like, hands on his back or his hands on his knees and, and hip mid-fight, which, which we kind of came accustomed to. So... He he seems much more comfortable in there, if anything, which which uh, which definitely doesn't hurt. Um, obviously, he's a he's a very good heavyweight. You listed off the the wins there. It's just when you come to the you know obviously uh, the upper echelon of the division is where you you could see him come unstuck. But when you have that power and you're patient and you're able to like follow game plans and uh, you're basically able to put people out with one shot, then you, like he has a chance against anybody. If he went in there against the champion, like. Uh, even on like a short notice step in or something like that, it, would you be that surprised if he was able to land a knockout punch? Mm. Probably not. Like, but technically he's not at the level of, of them in, in MMA skill wise. But sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes if you can, as you say, just be patient and wait for wait for your opportunity and get people to kind of underestimate you a bit, then you can you can um, beat guys that are technically better than you, like Curtis Blades and like uh, Francis and is a bit of a strange fight, as you said. But other guys who you think maybe were are technically Even more skilled Volkov, than like. Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Volkov. Like, yeah, you know, he's he's got some good wins on on his uh, on his resume. Like, and at heavyweight, anything can happen uh, at the best of times, especially when you've got that kind of extra power that Derek Lewis seems to have. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Fair play to Derek. Like, I don't want to suggest in this podcast before I was on Patreon, but I think him versus John Jones is the fight to make. To be honest, like Derek is right up there at the top of the division. I think John Jones needs a fight to get the heavyweight. It's gonna he's gonna be a long time out of the cage if he's waiting for the winner of Stipe versus Inganu and you know, especially if Stipe wins that fight. Stipe is happy enough fighting once a year, he's happy enough to renegotiate his contract, and especially if he's fighting John Jones, that could drag on and on and on. I'd love to see John step up, step in against Derek Lewis, someone who, you know, okay, he's lost a bit of weight, but he's he's 250, 260, 265 pounds even sometimes. And I think that's a test that John Jones needs. And I also think, you know, we talk a lot about MMA, about uh, tune-up fights and stuff like that. And I, I wouldn't call Derek Lewis a tune-up fight for John Jones. I, I think John Jones would win. But I, it, it's to tune up to heavyweight, I think it's a great fight. You know, to get used to that weight, to someone so much bigger than you. Like John Jones weighed in at 205 pounds, probably gets into the cage at maybe 220, 225 pounds maybe up to like 240 now for heavyweight, but still, that's like a 20 pounds weight difference that Derek Lewis has uh, on him, and that's going to be a lot, and I think John Jones needs to get acclimated that, okay, if he's fighting Stipe, maybe it's not as big a difference, Francis is, is a big guy, I'm not sure what he weighs in, but I, I would guess in the 250 mark, um, so I, like, I think John Jones is a smart guy, and I think... 
he's not just concerned with getting the biggest amount of money immediately. I think he's more concerned with um, being intelligent about MMA fighting and the money kind of coming afterwards. So I feel like if he wants to do it correctly, if he wants to move the heavyweight correctly, a, move, a fight like Derek Lewis might be the right fight for John Jones. Now, a lot of people probably listen to this and go, what are you talking about? He's just going to go in and fight for the title. And, you know, maybe he will, but I don't know. I feel like... I feel like John Jones might take that extra move, and it, it's a risk. Obviously, it's a risk against Derek Lewis, but I think it might be a bit of a calculated risk. Well, what do you think, Grant? Do, do you think I'm off the mark, or do you think he will go in and, and uh, just go straight for the heavyweight title, or for, do you think he might have one before that? Well, like, you know, he's, he hasn't been very active, and it's a different weight class, and we've seen guys change weight classes up and down, uh, need a fight or two to kind of look look settled in the division. Um <laughs> Like for the UFC, John Jones going for from a selling point. The UFC, uh, like be able to make a lot of money, uh, similar money. I think uh, just putting Jones is move to heavyweight against somebody like anybody like Derek Lewis or whatever, as you suggested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's a an, an intriguing like uh, sell for selling point to most to all hardcores and to a lot of casuals would be interested in seeing that. You know, twenty pound. Or not twenty. We've seen like twenty pound step ups. We've seen fifteen pound step ups, and how uh, kind of difficult it can be to to look look right at the division. Yeah. Um, as I said, so I th- I do think that there's a, there's enough questions around it, and you know John Jones brings enough uh, interest in his fights anyway that that would do a good number. And uh, there is like you know the if he does fight there, there is a possibility of getting caught with a big shot from a heavyweight, bigger guys than he's used to. So that's I think there's a lot of intrigue, and I think it would sell well. And I think you know UFC haven't historically really done any kind of tune up fights, but yeah, I think it kind of does make sense here. Mm-hmm. Like if Jones was just to kind of like, I suppose if Jones was to go straight in and, and lose at heavyweight to whoever's the champion at the time, you could just do the rematch straight away. And Jones could say, ah, oh, you know, I'm not used to this. So yeah. make a few adjustments and people would buy into it. But I think you could do that anyway, after this fight, like there's no mad rush to get John Jones in there. I don't think there should be anyway. Maybe there is, but I don't think there should be. And um, for John Jones, just, you know, uh, cage time you know he hasn't exactly looked his best recently when he's been inactive when he was on the way up and when he was uh, the champion at the start he was fighting regularly and he looked much sharper and um, much more dominant than he has when he's kind of dipped in and out of the sport so mm-hmm. obviously he's had a lot of personal problems and all that stuff going on but that's kind of always been the story with John Jones so yeah I think um, for John Jones, it's the it's the right move for the UFC. It's probably the right move as well. So uh, it would go against the kind of precedent of of the past, but I think I think it makes sense. Yeah. I'm becoming more and more uh, on board with the ideas as Good. time goes on. As John Jones kind of remains inactive, I like it. I, I don't think it'll happen, but <laughs> I like it. But uh, look, we'll uh, we'll see how it gets on here. But a uh, fantastic win for Derek Lewis for Curtis Blades. I think he's only one fight left in his UFC contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him like a really tough matchup and he was bye-bye then after that. But, you know, they don't have that many heavyweights, so keeping him around might be a smart thing. But we'll we'll see uh, we'll see where that goes. I think Derek Lewis only has one fight left as well, but he will probably get a new contract after this. I think he doesn't want to go anywhere else and he says he's very happy at the UFC. So I'd be, uh, I could see him, if he does get a big fight next, if it was a Jones, he'd probably get a new big five or six fight contract and uh, he'd be happy enough with that. But uh, let's see how, uh, let's see how things go anyway um in the comment event then a very odd fight a very tough fight to score uh yana kunitskaya versus ketlin Vieira. so when i watched the first round uh i thought Vieira had won it and i thought maybe she was like one or two maybe maybe four or five big elbows or big shots away from really you know taking that round to a different level because she'd kind of dominated on top for so much and i went back uh afterwards and and saw that one judge had given her the round so i went back and i actually spoke to to the judge himself and was like and and got a few um got a few words from him i don't want to say it now uh, on this because it's obviously in private i went back and i watched the fight and i was like you know by the judging criteria i wasn't far out i still think Vieira won it but just barely. It was one of those rounds where the Vieira spins the whole round, well, maybe three and a half minutes, whatever it might be, on top, and does absolutely nothing. And she did this. It's funny because she did the exact same thing in the third, right? 
and she actually landed more shots but Kunitskaya landed a few shots late and I thought I scored Kunitskaya that round because of that so like in MMA position doesn't matter we have to keep remembering that and even sometimes I need to remind myself and other people need to remind themselves as well position doesn't matter and now in that in the first round you can almost go to the tertiary <laughs> scoring system if if you think the shots that uh, Kunitskaya didn't land weren't weren't hard enough? You can almost go and say Vieira won it just because she had the control, just because she had the effective aggression. But if you think those shots from Kunitskaya early and the work that she did was enough, I, I don't think that's wrong. Now, at the time, I did live, but having gone back, watch it. I don't think that's a bad card. In the second round, then it was uh, it was all Vieira and or sorry, it was all Yana on top. She didn't do much either uh, in that exact same position, but in the last minute, she landed some big, big shots. Bisping after the fight made a good uh, call about it, but in the middle of the fight, it was just it was pretty bad in terms of like, oh, she's on top, she's winning around. I'm like, well, is she? Is she? And <laughs> you know, Vieira was on top in the first round, and she wasn't winning. And one judge's scorecard anyway. Um, so it was. This was if you're a judge, a nightmare of a fight to finish. You're probably at the end of that second round and think, oh, thank God that Vieira landed or uh, Kunitskaya landed our shots. To uh, to take away the doubt, and at the end of the third round, they're probably saying, "Oh no, why did you land those shots? She's making a close." So, apart from the second round, I think I think all three judges gave that to Kunitskaya. The first and the third were just nightmares, just absolute fucking nightmares of a of a fight to score. But I think all three judges it was unanimous decision twenty nine twenty eight. One judge was was different, gave the first and gave the third the other way around to the other two. But if you're looking at damage versus control. I think the right person won. I think Kunitskaya won that fight, and I think she was the right person to win. What, what did you think of it? Yeah, it was strange because as I was watching the the kind of last thirty seconds of the third round, I was I I had it one all, uh, and I had it uh, sorry nineteen nineteen, and uh, uh, I was thinking, oh, like you know, these shots from uh, Kunitskaya are just nothing. Like mm-hmm. she as her back taken, she's kind of like punching over her head. I'm like, I don't think th- I was just debating in my head, or oh, these aren't enough. I think this is just just going to be Vieira. But then there was like the last fifteen, ten, fifteen seconds. Yeah. There was just that flurry. That just just made it like oh well here we go this is this is her fight and like you know it's rare we see a fight come down to literally like a, a couple of punches at the end of the at the end of the, the exact last seconds of the round or, or of the of the fight and uh, that's what happened here like you know I think if Vieira had just not gone for that submission and just stayed on top for those last twenty seconds she probably would have won the decision on my card anyway mm-hmm. but you know that was the how close this fight fight was that attempt attempt to kind of make something happen to go for a submission, I think ended up costing her the fight. Yeah, 100%. I think people as well, if you're looking at this decision and you're discussing it, I think you're more and you're better off to dwell on damage winning the fight over control rather than one judge giving it differently than the other two judges because that's the important thing about MMA. We have to remember this as well, what, what we're looking at here. We're looking at a fight. You know, we're not looking at... A piece of art and who who moves in the position a little bit better this is this is not fucking Cirque du Soleil or not WWE you know this this is a fight it's about damage it's about ch- choking people out you know it's about fight ending sequences and did Vieira have any of those in that fight go back and watch the fight and ask yourself though did Vieira hurt her or do damage or almost finish the fight at any stage in that fight and then go back and watch it and say say the same for Kunitskaya well Kunitskaya did kind of twice you know so um it's uh it's one of those fights where you, you know you uh you have to uh you have to be pleased with how the judges gave it because of that because of the damage over everything else so yeah good win uh, for Kunitskaya anyway and she moves herself back into um she back into the uh, conversation I suppose with that uh after that, then, you had some good fights. I have to mention Derek, uh, or Derek Minor, even. He beat Charles Rose on a good, great jiu-jitsu battle. Really, really fun. I really enjoyed it, and I know uh, Andrew McGahan enjoyed it as well. Um, I thought Rosa earned his nine in the uh, in the first round, in the second round, you know, and in the second round as well, even though uh, Minor was on top and dominating. And in the third, then, one judge gave it to Rosa, which I don't mind at all, because he was trying, you know, he was trying off his back. Minor didn't do much. I thought I saw um, uh, Conor Rebush, I think, talking about it, saying that Minor hasn't the best gas tank in the world, and then the, towards the end of the fights, he, uh, he wilts a little bit. And I don't know, was that the case here, really? But... Uh, 
Rosa did a good job anyway. But still, fun fight and Minor definitely deserved to win. And, you know, he's in James Cross's gym as well. Um, where James Gallagher has been for the last maybe four or five months on and off, uh, which I think is very good for him. You know, a guy in featherweight, you know, James is only a couple of pounds below it. So uh, if he's training with a guy like this who's really good jiu-jitsu, really good top game, can only improve James Gallagher as well. So f- for fans of Irish MMA, I think that was a an interesting one. Then we had the... Um, Okay, I got to the heavyweights in a second, but in the middle of that, we had Phil Hawes and Imovov. I thought Imovov won the fight. Um, it was a close one, Hawes control in round one. And round two, Imovov uh, lands the better shots um, before Hawes got a takedown, but he didn't do much with it, I didn't think. Um, in the third round, Imovov, I thought it was close to a 10-8, just just off from a 10-8 I think and I gave it to him 29-28 but uh, it was a majority decision one judge obviously gave it to him 29-28 and the other um, two judges gave the second round to um, Hawes which mm, I can see why they did but I, 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 I'm not a big fan of that score, <laughs> to be honest. I think uh, Imovov landed the more immediately impactful strikes. Did he almost finish the fight? yes but I, the, the problem with Hawes is I think he takes punches badly in terms of like not takes punches badly but when he gets punched it looks worse it's a little bit like Quig, Clay Guida with his hair when he gets punched it looks really bad because his hair goes flying back he kind of always does a bit of a stanky leg and but he, he and he keeps going though even in, in the third round uh, I thought he was more it was more tiredness than anything else but look it wasn't a bad scorecard necessarily but I don't think I, I would have liked to have seen uh, someone like Imov Imovov win a fight like that, but you know we'll we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes in the future for both of them anyway. But Phil has uh, and both of them very good uh, very good prospects. Uh, and then the two heavyweight fights: Chris Dawkins defeated Alexi Olnik and Tom Aspinall defeated uh, Andre Arlovsky. Olnik, as he does, he got to the fence, almost pulled him down on top of him. Dawkins landed some nice shots up against the cage. And then just started wailing on him. He hurt him to get him up against the cage. He started wailing on him. And uh, Olenek, you could see that he wanted a way out. You know, you could see that this fight was over. And Herb Dean was kind of looking at him. And then there was a kick from Dawkins. And he kind of knocked Olenek's head up to land more strikes at him. And Herb was like, oh, he's moving. And then just like kept letting it go. And he was like, move, fight back. And then... It, like it was so late even in the main event as well when Curtis Blades knocked Lewis out he was able to get two to three more shots off before Herb Dean was even there I saw a screenshot last night up on Twitter and Herb Dean was even in the picture when Blades was landing the second shot at, or Lewis sorry was landing the second shot after Blades was already out just awful what, what did you think of the stoppage in this one it, uh, I, I thought Herb Dean in in the, the darkest fight was just awful just really really late and didn't save Alexi Olnik for me what did you think of it yeah um yeah I think it was a bit late um it wasn't anything crazy or anything I don't think but it's another it's another Herb Dean mm-hmm. yeah not great referee and once again and it's, we've talked about it all a lot now um it's uh, it's fair enough like you know a couple of when you're busy referee a couple a couple of bad decisions and uh, here and there but yeah i don't know i think maybe he needs to maybe he needs a break or something maybe maybe he, i don't know he 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 definitely has deteriorated uh, over the years and continues to deteriorate as a ref i think yeah 100% i just don't think he's great anymore so yeah it's it's unfortunate we and i, I think it was uh, andy Stevenson was talking this morning and he was saying like Cardine is the worst referee in the ufc and it's hard to argue with that like there isn't any worse i think uh, in the, the first fight in nine under heavyweight so spivak uh, a lot of people criticise Chris Tyone or is it Tognoni I'm not sure on this I don't think that was as bad a stoppage as this one it looked bad because there was a lot of blood and stuff but uh, Vendorara was definitely kind of fighting at, time, uh, at times in that he was trying to survive uh, I thought it was a few punches too late but there was he, you know Spivak was making mm-hmm. it hard for Tyone to stop it as well because he kept going for your naked jokes and stuff so what what did you think of that one? Yeah, and what was the one with with Jason Herzog? He, it wasn't the best night for referees. It wasn't anything. It was kind of jump. Wasn't sure about to stop the fight, not stopping the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the Julian yeah, Arosa one? Wasn't a great night for referee. Yeah, I think it was the Julian Arosa mm-hmm. Nate Landauer one. I can't maybe, remember where now. He lands the, yeah, where he landed the flying knee and then he went to top him. Yeah, I think it was that one. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. But uh, Aspinall anyway, the the last major one on this card, and we'll run through the the undercard. Uh, 
we'll talk about this more in the Q&A, I suppose, when we have more time, but I think Aspinall against Arlovsky was a fight that, we talked about it before about Aspinall, he's, to me, he's one of the top prospects at heavyweight in the world, he's absolutely brilliant, but he's not there yet, and he need, you need time in MMA, and the matchmakers, I think, uh, we've spoken about the matchmakers a lot, you've a responsibility, this guy is 10-2 and two in his career, you know, he... He had three years off between 2016 and 2019, and he, you know, he basically came back as as a new fighter in 2019. He's only been fighting a few years. Like you need to take your time with this guy. I really, really believe that. And I know when I say he's only been fighting a few years, he's obviously, you know, I think his father's a jiu-jitsu coach, not he's, you know, a, a legit fighter. But when you when you have someone like this who is still green but is so good. I think throwing him in there in the wolves, it almost backfired last night because he was beating Arlovsky early, hurt Arlovsky, cut his nose, beating him to the body, but Arlovsky survived and he came back and he was getting the better of it towards the end of that round at times. And Aspinall smart went out and took him down and, and beat him there. But like the problem with putting him in there against someone Arlovsky is you make a rod for your own back. Where do you go next from Andre Arlovsky? And I think he did a good job. You know, he called out the winner of the fight, so maybe it's a Chris Dawkins or a Spivak. I wouldn't give him Darkest to be honest. Would maybe Spivak? I I don't even know about that. Like, it's a dangerous, dangerous game you're playing when you put someone in there with a fighter like like Andre Arlovsky, who has been around for a long time, still one of the you know top fifteen, top 15, uh, twenty uh, heavyweights in the world. I just hope the matchmaking is you know especially at heavyweight you need to take care of these guys even Dawkins as well and, and other guys younger guys coming up Siddlegan and he's been thrown to the wolves as well you need to protect these guys like I, I could see him making Aspinall versus fucking you know Junior DeSantis someone like that next and he might win it but like where do you go after that that's the problem I think with guys like Aspinall and and uh, and Ganyan I think it's more a matchmaking thing than Aspinall it's nothing bad about Aspinall he's a really good fighter and I think in even in two years, he could be absolute, you know, he could be the champion. He's, I think he's that good. I think he's really good. But in two years, how many fights did you have? Six fights. Why can't the next two to three fights be against, you know, guys who he will have a better chance of beating? Then you move him up. Then you put him in against someone, maybe like a Dawkins or someone like that. Then you put him in against someone like an Overeem or a Derek Lewis. And then he's going towards the title. You know, that's the way I think it should be done. Don't look at it as one fight. Don't look at it as two fights. Look at it as six to seven fights. And okay, he might slip up along the way, but we'll find out. But I I just think, and it's not just Aspinall. I've seen it with other people as well. I think the long-term thinking of the UFC needs to uh, to improve with these up-and-comers and, and the guys, uh, you know, the, the, the best prospects in the sport. And he's 27 years of age as a heavyweight as well. So he has a long, long time in that heavyweight division. So let's see where it goes. Um, the undercard in, absolutely fantastic. Really, really good undercard. Jared Gordon and Danny Chavez. Not the greatest fight in the world, but a good, fun fight. I enjoyed it. Uh, John Castaneda uh, defeated Eddie Wineland. Very, very good defensively early. And was able to get the, the finish over Eddie Wineland, who, to me, Eddie Wineland was always a guy who came in and looked really, really muscular, swole. And in this one, he just didn't. He looked really, I thought he looked thin and drawn out, uh, which is not good for Eddie Wineland. So, yeah, I... I uh, a good win for Castaneda, but Wineland, I think it might be his time. You know, he's been around for a long, long time. Uh, Julian Rossi, then, as we mentioned, got the head kick, uh, knee, flying knee, uh, 10 9 Pimblet. I had that one, but great, <laughs> great for Rosa. Good stoppage, I think, as well. It was a tough one to see, uh, but when they showed the other um, angle, I thought Landwire was definitely out, so a good stoppage there. Casey O'Neill looked fantastic in the women's flyweight division, uh, which is great to see. We need women's flyweights coming through. Um, Eamon Zahabi then got that one-two right down the middle, lovely knockout, uh, beautiful punch, and then as we mentioned earlier, Spivak also as well in this card. We better not forget it. Um, did you? Did you? Were you watching the prelims, Graham? Chance Kelly walked out for his fight, got into the cage, and then oh my god, yeah. his, they announced that his opponent, who was it, uh, Jamal Emers, got back spasms in the back and couldn't fight, and he just walked out the cage again. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd be like a hundred percent sure that your fight's going ahead once you're standing in the cage waiting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was funny. I, I this actually happened. The one of the last cage legacy cards in Cork. Like the guy got to the cage, uh, 
one guy got to the cage, went in, and then this, his opponent got to the cage, and then they wouldn't let him fight because, I don't know, he didn't have his pre-fight medicals done or something, and then the fight was just cancelled, and then they had to fight later on in the night, so I was like, I've seen this before, but... Yeah, do, was, do you remember uh, James Gallagher? Yeah. Uh, James Gallagher was was fighting in cage contender, I think it was, and his opponent came out and everything, and the second the fight started, he started tapping the ground. Tapped the ground, yeah. Just tapped out. Didn't, uh, like, John Cavanaugh invite yeah, him so, to uh, SBG and stuff, didn't he? After that, and he was like, oh, come and train with us, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. It's a MMA. <laughs> you see lots of things in MMA. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Like even even when the bell goes, you you can't be too sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, all right. Uh, we'll just run through another couple of things here before we end because this podcast is obviously going we drag on for forever. But uh, next week's card is a is a pretty good one to be honest. Uh, for well. It's a good one for people like us, I suppose, which a lot of cards have been recently. Not not many big, uh, outstanding names on it, but on the undercard, uh, Dustin Jacobi's on this card. Uh, Honey Barsolos versus Marcelo Rojo, who's coming in on short notice to fight this. Main on a week's notice as well, Angela Hill versus Ashley Oder, which is a pretty good fight. Uh, Alexander Hernandez versus Thiago Moises. I like that fight. Alexis Davis, Sabina Mazo. Uh, Kevin Kroon, who was also training uh, over with James Kraus, I believe, and with James Gallagher and all them as well fighting Alex Xeris, so that's a good fight. Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera is just, uh, you know, an old-school bantamweight kind of gatekeeper's fight, so that should be fun. Randy Brown, Alex Oliveira, that could go anywhere. Uh, Montalo De La Rosa uh, against Silva as well. Nikita Kryler versus Ankalaev, and then Jarzino Rosenstruck versus Cyril Gann. How would you see that fight going, Graham? I know we, we I spoke about Cyril Gann there a second ago. Do you think it might be a little bit of a step too far for, for Gann against Rosenstruck, or do you think he'll have enough for him? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really good test. It's a really interesting fight, but I do think it is a bit too soon. Uh, like he could go out there and win, but as you kind of mentioned earlier, like where do you go from there? Then, um, yeah. you know, Rosenstruck, uh, he's a very good fighter. You know, uh, maybe he's he's not one of the most experienced guys in the division. Maybe that's why they've chosen him here. Uh, but you know, his only loss is to Francis Ngannou, and besides that, he's you know he's got some very good wins like JDS over him. Arlovsky, like he's he's maybe not as experienced as some of the other guys yeah. ranked around him, but he's he's a very dangerous fighter. And for for Gagne, if he wins, great. But you know, he's kind of going to be catapulted into into fights that may be too soon for him. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're wrong, and maybe he'll be able to clean up and remain undefeated and be the champion. But we haven't really seen that very much at heavyweight historically. And uh, with a guy who's only seven or eight fights into his career. Uh, it seems like you know, if he goes in there and wins spectacularly, it might be it might be, you know, a case of too much too soon coming up after that. But I'm sure he's, uh, you know, all these guys are very confident, especially when they're undefeated. I'm sure he had no hesitations about taking the fight. But you know, from the UFC matchmaking point of view, we, we probably would have seen a bit of a slower play with, with this in back in the Joe Silva days. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, those days are long gone now. But. Uh, we've mentioned it a few times a good few times over the last couple of years some of these fights they don't have as much um, logic behind them uh, the matchmaking as maybe maybe they did in the past but you know uh, it's an interesting fight I'm very interested to see this fight it's uh, it's intriguing we're going to learn a lot about both guys here and uh, it should be a good fight but yeah yeah uh, I don't know. I see Gagne as a big favorite. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be too sure about that. Yeah, is is he? Is he a big favorite? I didn't. I didn't. I haven't seen that yet. But I um. Yeah, he's like three to one on. Is he? Jesus! I I would be betting Rosenstruck at that price to be honest. Like Rosenstruck is a dangerous guy as well. He can land that one big shot knockout like we saw against uh, Overeem, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and Gagne eat shots. No, there's no doubt about it. I don't think he's the most powerful heavyweight in the world leader. No, watch him go out and win in the first round. But I think he's built more in kind of athleticism and things like that. And him moving to a five-round fight as well is going to take an adjustment. So it'd be interesting to, to see that one. Um, I don't know. I find it hard to pick this fight. At that price, I'd be definitely going for Rosenstruck. But I think Gagne might just have enough. Um, but uh, it's an interesting one. A good heavyweight fight as well. Lots of them recently. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um... One or two more things, Graham, before we go. Uh, and I know time is tight here, but Bilal Muhammad versus Leon Edwards was announced this week. 
I think it's a good fight. I think Bilal deserves a step up. I think Leon Edwards uh, needs a fight. And I think he really, really needs a fight because it's just been too long now. And this welterweight pitcher is playing out in front of him and he's kind of getting bypassed by it. So I think that's a good fight. Um, Aaron Chalmers retired. Um, he, you know, he did, <laughs> and it, with Aaron Chalmers, you never know, obviously, with anyone in MMA. But it feels like, I don't know, is he going doing um, pro wrestling or something like that? He says he's in another gym with other athletes and stuff as well. So I don't know. Uh, but I always enjoyed, you know, I interviewed Aaron a couple of times. Very, very affable, nice guy. Smart about what he was doing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people criticize him. And even, at, you know, at the start, we kind of realized what they were doing, what Batman and Bellator were doing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad the way we covered Aaron Chalmers because I think we understood it. Not, you know, everyone's not going to like it, but you have to understand it. And uh, I think he's he did well for himself. He improved. Okay, not the best fighter in the world, obviously, uh, but uh, he did a good job. And then as well, the, uh, the Bellator rankings came out as well this week. We, we were asked, a couple of us were asked to be a part of them. We thought about it. We spoke to Bellator. But I spoke to too many, too many media members who said they're not going to do it because it's, it's a conflict of interest. It's uh, it's going to be like the UFCs. If they, the the one the second day changings will have to leave anyway. So what's the point? And I I I, I agree with that in a way. But I would have loved to have been a part of it. I, I look if everyone had decided to be part of it. If uh, MMA junkie, MMA fighting, Luke Thomas, Ariel, been if all these people had been a part of it, and at the end, you would 100% get the right rankings. I would have done it. And I was. they wanted two people from Severe MMA to do it because, of obviously, we're the, the European hub for, for covering MMA and they have a lot of European fighters. So I would have done it that way. But the problem is, and I think the, the panel isn't actually bad, but the problem is you only need three or four people on the panel who aren't 100% paying attention and it ruins it for everyone else, you know, and the rankings look really bad, and then you look really bad because of it, whereas if it's all the best people in the world covering the sport are part of these rankings, then you're going to get probably the right rankings in the end, and that's the reason why we didn't be part of it. I really wanted to be part of it. I don't want to be part of the UFC ones because they're a, they're a farce, and, you know, it's it's really, really bad, and the, the way they do them is, is bad, and just everything about it. I think Bellator, and I criticise Bellator an, an awful lot, I think they're trying to do it the right way. Every, when I've spoken to them, and Andy spoke to them as well about it, they're trying to do it the right way. There was a couple of issues, and they adjusted, and they, f- they fixed them, and I, you know, I if if everyone else was doing it, if if we could get the consensus to do the rankings between everyone in the media, I would have done it, and Severe May would have done it as well, and the main reason I think because of that is because of there's so many European fighters, and I don't know if there's anyone, I think there might be one European person who I don't really know uh, on the, the panel of voting, and I that's unfortunate, and it's, it's unfair on the European fighters and lots of Irish and UK fighters, and for that reason, that was the reason we thought about it more than anything else, I think, to be part of it. But just at the end of the day, I don't think one or two voices is going to make that difference when it's not. It Like, the rankings are only as good as the panel. And I think the panel needs to be A1. Like, the panel is good now. I think it's it's right up there. You know, some of the best people in the world covering the sport around it. Some very smart people around it. And I'm not taking anything away from any of them. But I think it needs to be the best for it to be you know we talked about earlier on about a strict adherence to doing what's right saying what's right getting what's right and i don't think these rankings are a strict adherence to what is right in terms of ranking people in the right position and getting the right people to rank them uh so that's you know the reason why we're out and it's unfortunate but i suppose it has to be uh it has to be that way um anything to add graham to that or to bilal versus Leon or uh chalmers uh retiring before we uh before we leave it here yeah, well, with Chalmers, like, you know, as you mentioned, he's kind of, people wanted to hate on him, wanted him to fail. And, you know, although he lost a couple of fights, he, he went in, he made some money, he didn't fail. He showed he was, he, he was, wasn't just doing this for a paycheck. He was actually putting in the effort and, you know, he, he did it the right way. Uh, so, yeah, fair play to him. If he, if he walks away, then he can walk away with his, his head held high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so uh, fair play to him. And, uh yeah, that's it from uh, from us. Thanks everybody uh, for listening. I really uh, really appreciate. It. Are you are you going to chime in with something there, Graham? It feels like you turned on your microphone there. I was going to say I'm I'm glad that I was. 
I'm glad I don't have to do any rankings after the few years ago having to do rankings. It, it seems like uh, this is this is okay, but then it's a fucking nightmare. So, yeah, <laughs> good decision, John. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, even though our our rankings weren't going to be shown or anything, it was just like the the full rankings. But it's yeah, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one. I I feel bad about it, like. I, because I like I, I even Sinead Kavanaugh tweeted me the other to day do it, to do it right though yeah. to do it right it takes yeah it takes a lot of effort and to do it right consistently like mm-hmm. to keep it right you know yeah it takes a yeah. lot of effort and if you're not if you're not sure about the process it's just not going to work like. yeah that that is true yeah that is very very true you know and I Sinead Kavanaugh tweeted me the other day oh you're going to be a critic now I'm like yeah <laughs> it's it's a fair point like it's a fair point but I'm a I'm more a critic actually no well no I'm not I suppose I was going to say I'm a critic of everyone not not taking part but I'm not really because I understand why they're not taking part but I'm a critic of like <clears throat> it not being correct because those are not taking part like I I just think they probably should have scrapped it when everyone isn't going to be part of it to be honest but nothing against Bellator with that you know I, I criticise Bellator often enough so I'm, I'm not criticising these rankings at all maybe there'll be something whack with the rankings when they come out and fair enough you know we can all criticise that but like you know, the, the problem is, and you know, Shane Kavanaugh giving out to me a little bit, not, not really, I'm only joking, but the problem is, someone like Shane Kavanaugh, she deserves to be ranked pretty highly, I think, because she has performed well over the last few years, oh, everyone knows in a couple of fights that she should have won them, the Leslie Smith fight, and another fight, where was it, over in Sweden or somewhere, I might be gone mad now, but like her record, whatever it is, let's say her record is 7-5, and five, it should be like 9-3 and three or whatever it is, you know? And, like, that's why you need voices like us in it to get the right rankings for people like that. But, unfortunately, not everyone is... Like, do you, would you trust everyone in that ranking panel to get that? I trust a lot of them to do it, absolutely, but not all of them. So that's that's the problem with that. But anyway, um, all right, that's it from us. 300 episodes uh, in the book. Um, appreciate every single one of you here on patreon.com forward slash severe med podcast it's been a it's been a hell of a ride and we'll keep going for another while anyway graham exciting times ahead there's some great fights uh coming up in the next while volkanovsky against brian ortega which is an absolutely fantastic fight really i was looking at some fights today steve miocic versus francis ingano one of the best heavyweight fights we've seen in years i think it could be an absolute banger francis coming back after building himself back up from the first loss can he do it in the second one against uh against steve miocic uh, amanda nunes coming back absolutely the greatest female fighter of all time destroying everyone and so much more can't wait for the next while bellator coming back as well cage warriors coming back um you know Really, 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 really good times coming. Obviously, actually, that Cage Warriors, they announced the main event. I think it's Jamie Richardson versus Kent Kapinen. That's an odd main event. Very odd main event. I think both lads are coming off of a loss. Weird one. You know, when you have the likes, you know, of Ian Gary, even, okay, Paul Hughes coming off a loss, maybe not, but, like, those are the lads I think you should be probably headlining with. I don't know, odd one. But anyway, that's it. And we'll talk loads. And, you know, there's been a lot of Dickie McLean fight announced. Really, really good fight, which we announced in Ansevier and, uh, and uh, other ones as well. So there's a lot coming up. Paddy Finland, I believe, is going to have a fight as well. So maybe he'll be headlining. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Graham. Thank you to Ian O'Neill and Andy and Patrick Sheehan and Andrew McGahan down through the years and everyone else. We appreciate you all. And all that's left to do is give the inspirational quote of the week. Don't go through life, grow through life. We'll see you next Wednesday. Wednesday? Tuesday? Sunday? Sometime. We'll see you again. Good luck.